Hey, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Brownsbridge Church podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to download the Brownsbridge Church app where you can access all of our recent message content as well as find out more information about Brownsbridge Church. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. So uh, yesterday was a great Saturday of college football, wasn't it? Did anybody enjoy that? Yeah, it was, it was amazing. If you're not a college football fan, if you didn't know what was going on yesterday, there was, uh, this, this was a Saturday that had been circled weeks ago, even before the season started. People, sports broadcasters, everybody, they were looking to week four of college football. Six uh, matchups of ranked teams. Um, Deion Sanders, who used to play football here in the ATL, is now a head coach. And he's bringing all the fun that he brought to the football field and all the drama to coaching his team in Colorado. He had a big marquee game in the afternoon. Uh, the games kicked off at noon and uh, went uh, until about 11 o'clock at night. Had a nail biter at the very end, the Georgia UAB game. Um, that's a joke. Yeah, the Ohio State Notre Dame game was kind of the marquee matchup to end the day with. Went down to the very Last second, it was a, an amazing, amazing day. Again, he'd been looking forward to it for weeks and, and um, uh, I almost called in sick today. I thought, you know, I'll be able to enjoy Saturday if I'm not having to think about preaching the next day. But um, here's the reason why I start there. Yesterday, yesterday was a great example of something that uh, we all do that really makes no sense. This, this took place in stadiums around the country. There were thousands of examples of this, probably hundreds of thousands of examples of this. And again, if some sort of alien life form came from another planet, came to our planet and saw this happening, they would be like, I, we don't get it. We don't understand. You had two different people that really uh, in the grand scheme of things, they, they are alike in every way. They have the same interests. They are same age, season of life. They're the same demographic, um, even down to their preferences and their taste. They even like the same ice cream. They're, they're, they're two people that should get along. I mean, they should be really great friends, yet there's just one difference. They have different, someone said go dogs, yeah. They, they have different t-shirts on. They have different t-shirts on. That's literally, again, an alien life form would come in and be like, the only difference between these two people is one is wearing a red shirt, one's wearing a blue shirt. And essentially for us, the way we do the calculations, right? It's like, no, this person is cheering for a different team. And no matter how much we have in common, they are now the enemy, okay? That's the way we treat people, right? We do this unintentionally. And sometimes it's just kind of a minor thing, but sometimes it, it ends up being, it ends up playing out in some really awful ways. That I don't know if you read the news stories about the Colorado State player last week who he had kind of a late hit on um, one of the receivers from Colorado. He ended up getting death threats um, think about that. A 19-year-old kid, these people don't know him uh, from Adam, and literally they're saying all sorts of awful things, sending him death threats. There was another news story last weekend, um, a New England Patriots fan got in a fight with the Miami fan. He ended up having some sort of heart attack, health issue. He ends up passing away from this fight that he had in, uh, in the stands. And again, these are, these are people that uh, in their normal life, in their, their you know, Sunday to Friday night, uh, Friday life, they, they, would, they would interact with these people and it'd be like, hey, how you, everything be fine, everything be normal. But then the moment they get different t-shirts on and they show up to this loud stadium, they treat each other so differently. 
And in so many cases, they treat each other so poorly. And interestingly, you can have the same colored shirt and and it, it demonstrates this effect in a different way that's just as confusing. These people, they could disagree on everything in life. I mean, down, down to the, the color of paint on the walls at their house of, hey, you know, it should be white. No, it should be, it should be gray. It should, you know, they, 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 they could disagree on everything. There's no reason why they should like each other. Yeah, they put on the same t-shirt and all of a sudden they're, they're BFFs. It's like, hey, how you doing, buddy? It's so good to see you, you know? Best friends, all because of the color of their shirt. But then watch this one, just watch this difference. That little change right there, then all of a sudden, you're the enemy. Two different types of treatment for two different people. And the color on the shirt just demonstrates whether or not this person is on your side. One is on your side and one is on the other side. A line has been drawn. And this this line will determine what kind of treatment and what kind of behavior that person gets from you. And me, this, this line, uh, psychologists actually talk about it. They've deemed it the moral circle. That's what they call it. And the moral circle is the invisible line we draw to determine who are our people? Who are, are we morally obligated to? Who is worthy of moral concern or who is of moral standing? And, and we, again, a thousand different ways outside of a football stadium, we do this. We don't mean to. We don't, we don't set out to do this, but subconsciously we're constantly asking the question, who are my people? Who are my people? Is this person my person? And those who we deem in, they get an entirely different type of treatment than those who are out. Here's uh, another way to think about this. Um, let's say somebody close to you has told you, hey, I'm, I'm gonna start waiting tables. Maybe it's your son, maybe it's your daughter, maybe it's your brother. Maybe it's just a close friend. This close friend comes to you and says, hey, I'm gonna start waiting tables. And you think, you know what would be really cool? Let's go surprise them on their first night of waiting tables. And so you get a few folks together and say, hey, we're gonna go cheer our good friend on. You show up to the restaurant that you, you ask specifically for their section. You get seated in their section. And, you know, a few minutes go by, you don't see a waiter and, and, and you don't see your friend. And you're like, oh, that's okay. You know, we're fine. We're good. And finally your, your friend ends up showing up and he walks up to the table and he's sweating bullets. And he's like, y'all, I am so sorry. I'm so overwhelmed. I've got so many tables. The kitchen's backed up. It's just, it's just a really stressful night. What do you tell him in that moment? You say, we're good. It's okay. Like, don't even worry about us. We're fine. We, did, we don't even have to eat here. We can just hang out at the table all night. We just came to support you. And then eventually he comes over and he gets your drink order. And if he brings you the wrong drink, what do you do? You just drink it. You're like, that's great. That's all. Yeah, water's great. Or sparkling water, or Diet Coke. Say, what do you, you know, it doesn't matter. Just... You know, we're just here to support you. And, and then the, the food takes a little while to, to get out to the table. It's delayed a little bit. Do, do, you, do you get on to your friend or, or do you, do you, you know, d- demonstrate or communicate to him that you're upset? It's like, no, you're like, it's fine. Food's, food's a few minutes late, no big deal. And then at the end of the night, the check comes. And what do you do with the tip? You over tip them, don't you? You over tip them in that moment. Now, Just imagine the same exact scenario, but now instead of this being your close friend, it is someone you have no idea who they are. You get seated in the restaurant. This person doesn't come to your table. And as the minutes click by, you're thinking to yourself, oof, 
Do we need to get up and leave? I don't really, this is, this is not good, you know? And then waiter finally shows up at the table, stressed out, obviously having a busy night. And they're like, so sorry, you know, it's just a crazy night in the kitchen. You know, can I get your drink order? Sure. And then, you know, when the drinks come out, you order Diet Coke, but this tastes kind of like Coke Zero. And I just, I can't stand that difference, you know? And so, you know, you're disappointed. You're like, what is this? We're paying for a good time. We're trying, you know, come on, you know? You order your food and you ordered steak, but they bring out cod to the table in front of you. And you're like, this is unbelievable. You're ruining our night, our good time. And then the whole time as the meal's going on and as one thing gets missed and another thing gets delayed, in your mind, the tip is kind of mathematically, you're just doing that subtraction of like the tip going down and down and down. Two different types of treatment for two different people. One is your best friend. One is your daughter. One is your son. The other person, you have no idea who they are, but they're somebody's friend. They're somebody's daughter. They are somebody's son. And this is what we do. Again, unintentionally, we are prone. We are prone to ask who. With people in our life, like who is this person? person. We don't think this out consciously. Again, it's subconscious, but we'll say, who, who is this that I'm interacting with? And are they in or out? And depending on how we answer that question, it determines our behavior towards them. And as you can probably tell already, this is a bad question. Even if you're not a person of faith, even if you're not a Christian, you can probably see that and go, oh, that's, that's not the way that I wanna be. But specifically, even more importantly for, for, for Christians, if we're trying to be like we've been talking about in the series, like we talked about last week, if we're trying to be like a good neighbor, this is a really bad question. We talked about this last week that, that this person, Jesus had this interaction where this expert in the law came to him and said, hey, what matters most to God? I mean, I know God cares about a lot of things. I know there's a lot of commandments out there, but what's the most important commandment? What is the greatest commandment? If I'm gonna follow just one thing, what would God say to do? What matters most to God? And Jesus responds with not one, but two things. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and will, and also love your neighbor as yourself. To sum it up, he just said, you gotta love God and love people. And the expert of the law was probably like, Jesus, you're bad at math. I asked for one thing and you gave me two. And Jesus said, no, no, I, 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 I get what you're saying, but no, it's, it's these together. This is what matters most to God. And it happens to be two things, but they're really connected. You can't separate them. You depart from one, you depart from the other. If you skip out on one, you skip out on the other. And we said this last week, the love of God's really, it's invisible. That's something that's between you and your heavenly father. That's between you and God. Can't always tell, but love of people, when you love your neighbor as yourself, well, that's obvious. You can't hide it. In fact, if it's, vis- if it's invisible, then it's probably not happening. And also, as you think about church history, as you think about your journey as a Christian, it's not this that we struggle with. Oftentimes it's loving people is where we struggle. And one of the main reasons, one of the main reasons why we struggle with this is that we're asking the wrong question. One of the things that will stop us 
from loving our neighbor as ourselves before we ever begin. One of the things that'll stop us from loving people before we ever begin is asking the question, who? We limit our good neighboring by asking who? Okay, Jesus, I I know I'm supposed to love people. I, I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but who qualifies as my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? I know I'm supposed to love people, but which people? And in this conversation with this expert in the law that we looked at last week, they, it's actually documented in several of the gospel accounts of Jesus's life. Last week, we looked at Matthew and Luke tells a little bit more of the story. And so we're gonna look at Luke's uh, account of it today. But after Jesus tells him, hey, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and, pro- and the prophets hang on these two things. It all comes down to these two things, love God and love people. The, the expert in the law He's still trying to trick Jesus. He's trying to justify himself. He, he just, he's not satisfied with Jesus' answer. So he says this. This is the way Luke puts it. But he wanted to justify himself. And I don't know all that's going on there, but my guess is he's trying to find a loophole. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? If I'm supposed to love people who, who, and love my neighbor as myself, who, who is that person that I'm supposed to love in my life. And, and Jesus responds as he so often does with a parable, which is just a made up story. And the parable that we'll, we'll go through over the next few minutes, if you grew up in church, you're familiar with it, you've heard it. But um, even if you're not a Christian, you're new to church, you've never heard this parable before, you certainly heard the phrase that comes out of this parable. Here's what Jesus says. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Uh, this is a common uh, a path that people would have walked. It's about 20 miles. It would have taken at least a full day. But once you get out of the kind of the city limits of Jerusalem, it gets pretty desolate. And so it was common for people to be attacked by robbers on that road. That's why they would travel, try to travel in big numbers. So this man, we don't know, again, made up story, doesn't really matter, but seems like he was traveling by himself and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And it was more than just kind of an emotional feeling because of what Jesus said next. He says, he went to him and bandaged his wounds pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, which this means that the Samaritan stayed with this man all night. This is again, an an inn in the middle of nowhere. He wouldn't have been able to just go, hey, I'm gonna get him set up and then I'll go, you know, sleep in my own bed and I'll come back in the morning. It's like, no, he ends up staying the night with this person who had been attacked. The next day, he took out two denarii, so some more of his own money. He gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And with this, the the parable kind of wraps up. And uh, the, the Samaritan in this story was good to the person who had been beaten up, robbed, and left half dead. So that's where we get the phrase good Samaritan. Again, if you're not a church person, you've heard that phrase throughout your life. And this is the story that it comes from. This is the account that it comes from. So he's kind of wrapped up the story and now he he turns back to the expert in the law and he asks him a question. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor 
to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the answer is pretty easy. The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, the interesting thing here is that Jesus didn't answer his question. I've always kind of wrestled with this. And as I've read the account, I'm like, wait a second. He asked, who is my neighbor? But Jesus didn't really answer that question. He said, who was a neighbor to the man that got attacked? Jesus was answering a different question, a better question. He wasn't answering who, he was answering how. He got asked, who is my neighbor? And he answered by saying, essentially, no, 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 that's not important. How you neighbor, how you neighbor is important. Jesus answered the question, how do I neighbor? And he again was in this conversation where he's emphasizing what matters most to God. What matters most to God is loving God and loving people. And if you begin to limit who your neighbor is in that people category, you will miss out on what matters most to God. And Jesus was saying in this parable that who, who is anybody? It's anybody. It's anybody you come across. It's in, in need. There's any place where you see you can meet a need. Who is not the question. It's how. How to be a great neighbor. That's what I'm more concerned about is how you live your life out with everyone around you. And in this interaction, he's really challenging their thinking. Again, for us, we've heard the parable maybe tons of times if you grew up in church or used to it. For his original audience, this would have been a massive deal because he starts with the priest, right? And he says, the priest came walking down the road. Now the priest was the highest you know, highest standing in that culture in that day and age. For the Jewish people, the priest was, is, is you know, they, they looked up to the priest more than anyone else. If anybody was gonna get it right, it was the priest. The priests were in, responsible for the temple duties and they were just seen as kind of above everyone else. And the priest comes and does what? Does nothing. Walks right by. Says he walks by on the other side. We don't even know if he really looked over in his direction. And then the second character in the story was the Levite. And Levites were kind of second in command to the priest. They assisted the priest in the temple duty. In the temple duty. So, so again, somebody who had very high standing in their culture. And he's saying, look, it doesn't matter what your category is. Doesn't matter what your standing is. The, the priest walks by, ignores the guy. The Levite comes, he walks by, ignores the guy as well. And then he says, but a Samaritan, but a Samaritan, which when, when he brought up Samaritan, th these people would have started reacting in that moment, thinking to themselves, wait a second, how do you even include a Samaritan in the same story as a priest in a Levite? Jews and Samaritans didn't have a great relationship in that day and age, to say the least. It was tumultuous. It was hatred. You want to talk about the intensity that we feel in a college football stadium. It was like that for them times 10 all the time, all day, every day. The Jews viewed the Samaritans as lesser people, as half-breeds. There was a ton of racism towards them in that day. And in fact, there's a, an account um, from AD 7, um, there's this thing going on on TikTok right now where people are talking about the Roman Empire. Have y'all seen this? Someone asked me this week, they were like, how often do you think of the Roman Empire? I was like, 
I don't know, pretty often actually, because, you know, I'm having to study stuff for the church and, you know, preaching and teaching. But apparently like men think about the Roman empire all the time. This is on TikTok. You can Google it if you don't know what I'm talking about. But anyways, now you can tell people that, yeah, you think about the Roman empire because, you know, the pastor on Sunday talked about the Roman empire. I'm gonna give you a Roman empire story right here. Okay. This is AD 7, AD 7 in Jerusalem. And it's the Passover festival. It's the Passover celebration. This was the biggest deal to the Jewish people in this day and age. They would, um, many of them would, would take a pilgrimage, some of them for miles and miles and miles uh, to, to come to Jerusalem. Hundreds of thousands of pilgrims would fill the city for this celebration over the weekend. And um, on one particular day, they're going to open the gates early in the morning to the temple courts. This is sort of like opening the gates to a stadium, big sporting event, tons of crowd waiting to get in. So they would open the gates early. Well, when they open the gates early on this particular morning in AD 7, at Passover, some Samaritans snuck in with the crowd. And we know they snuck in because if they had been identified, if anyone knew that they were Samaritans, they would have been killed on the spot. And as they sneak into the temple courts, they bring with them in their clothes or in their cloak or what, however, they were hiding human bones, the bones of deceased human people. And they began to spread these bones in the hallways and in the corners and in the porticos of the temple courts. And when they did that, they knew exactly what they were doing. They were defiling the temple. Ancient Jewish law would, would, did not allow any kind of dead animals, any kind of dead bones, anything to touch the temple outside of what was sacrificed in the temple. And so at that moment, the, the, the temple became defiled and all of a sudden their huge celebration was ruined. This day that to them was just a massive deal, a huge deal was ruined. They had to get everybody out of the temple and purify the temple in order to go on with their celebration. This happened, you can look it up, AD 7, the Roman historian um, Josephus is the one who documents it. Jesus would have been a teenager. And this good Samaritan parable that he's telling is probably about 20 years, 15 to 20 years after this event. So for a lot of the folks listening, this, this would have been in the back of their minds still. This would have been a charged memory for them. And when he said Samaritan, many of their minds would have gone to what they did to Passover 20 years earlier. And Jesus had just made a Samaritan the hero of the story. He elevated the Samaritan over the priest and over the Levite. And we're comfortable with the phrase good Samaritan because we use it over and over again. Oh, he's a good Samaritan. She's a good Samaritan. It's actually a positive phrase in our culture. For them, it would have been an oxymoron. They, they wouldn't have ever put those two words together. You can't put good and Samaritan in the same sentence. And I don't know what was going through Jesus's mind in that moment, but my guess is, my guess is he was thinking to himself, I've got you right where I want you. And that he would be saying, see, see, you are drawing a line. You are drawing a line between you and the Samaritans. You are asking who, who is my neighbor? Who is worthy of love? Who is worthy of my attention? Who's worthy of me doing something for them? You're drawing a line. That line is clear because of how angry you are in this moment, how offended you are in this moment that a Samaritan was the hero of the story. 
You're drawing a line. You're either in or you're out. And it's a different set of behaviors depending on how you answer that question, who? And Jesus in this moment was saying, not anymore. Not anymore. Jesus changed the game. And he introduced something brand new to the world. A lot of people look into the Old Testament and think, well, well, I, I think, you know, the, the idea of love was already there. But listen, listen to what a leading historian, a Jewish historian um, from the University of Oxford, listen to what he says about Jesus's love. This is from Geza Vermes. He says, Jesus got his emphasis on love from the Hebrew Bible. He got his emphasis on love from the Old Testament, but Jesus radicalized it so that it now, so that now love of neighbor crossed boundaries took out the lines so that it was love of leper, love of Samaritan, love of sinner, love even of enemy. A good Samaritan is just one example of Jesus teaching this. Talked about um, in, in other, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, hey, you need to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And in that, as he's talking about it, he's saying, hey, what, what would you gain by simply loving those who already love you? By simply loving those who've already done good to you. He says, don't, don't tax collectors do that? Don't pagans do that? And you think about it in our day and age, even the people that we think are the worst people in the world, they still love their own kind. They still love their people, their inner circle. And that's the problem. They've, they've got a circle, they've drawn a line and you're either in or you're out. So even if we expand our circle a little bit, if we still have a line, if we still have an in, you're either in or you're out, we're missing it. We're missing what Jesus came and taught and we're missing what he modeled with his life. When he came to the human race who was fallen in sin and died on a cross for us, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So not only did he teach it, he modeled it. And then he calls us, he calls all of his followers to do the same. This is why he says it all comes down to this one thing, loving God, loving your neighbor is yourself. Your neighboring is a reflection of your Christianing. So how are you doing with being a good neighbor? And where have you potentially drawn a line? Where are you focusing on who rather than how? Who this person is, what their belief system is, what they've done to me versus how. How do I be a good neighbor to them? Doesn't matter who the person is. How do I be a good neighbor to them? And again, we, we do this unintentionally and accidentally, but we ask who rather than how. My guess is it's, it's probably the people that you don't like or the people who like things that are different than you. It's probably people that have mistreated you. People that you would like to change before you love them. You think to yourself, well, if, if he will do X, if she will do Y, then I'll make the phone call. Then I'll reach back out. Then I'll pursue her. And Jesus is saying, no, this is exactly who I've called you to love. This is exactly who you're supposed to be a good neighbor to. So whoever that is for you today, whoever comes to mind for you, here, here would be my challenge for all of us. 
would be to go first. Go first. Be a good neighbor to someone who has not been a good neighbor to you, to someone who has yet to be a good neighbor to you. Erase the line. Let go of the expectations. Don't hold a requirement over their head. Because when you do that, in a way, you're saying, hey, you're still over there. And once you get your stuff figured out, and once you say the apology that I want you to say, then I can move in your direction. And that's not what Jesus did with us. He left heaven and he came to earth and he lived among us and he taught among us and then ultimately went to the cross for us while we were still in our sins. He didn't have any strings attached. He didn't have any requirements that we needed to meet on the front end before he loved us. And he's saying that kind of love that I've shown you, I want you to show to the people around you. Now I realize in a room this big that there's probably some messy situations and some situations where it's like, well, wait a second, Adam, does that mean I have to go? I mean, this is harmful for me or this person's been harmful to me. It's like, no, I, I get that. And, and reconciliation, that's a totally different thing. Most of us in here, it's just as simple as going first and taking a step in their direction. When we do that, we will be like our father in heaven who sent his son to model that for us. And then us going first will set off a chain reaction. You ever seen this where you, you kind of get stuck in a cycle with another person? Like they've hurt you and so you, you don't necessarily love them. So you hurt them and they hurt you, you hurt them. And it just goes back and forth and back and forth. And eventually the only thing that's gonna break that downward spiral is someone going first. If we would take this to heart and we would go first, imagine all of the cycles around this room and throughout this community that would be broken. And as we go first with them, they're gonna turn around and go first with someone else. It's gonna free them up. It could have a tremendous, tremendous impact. So let's go first. Let's be like the savior that we're following. Let's be like the father that created us. Let's love him and love people. Let's pray together. Father, you um, are so good to us. You're always with us. And for those of us who have experienced this firsthand, for those of us who put our faith in you, have a relationship with you, we would all say we don't deserve it. We didn't do anything to earn it. And it's just out of your love that you pursue us and send your son for us and invite us into relationship with you. But God, we so often turn to other people and we wanna hold things over their head and we wanna you know, add some extra punishment to their plate or keep them in emotional timeout. We do all sorts of things, God, because we draw a line between us and them. And I just pray today that you would free us from that and that you would help us truly love people as you loved us and as you love them. We need your help to do this, God. So lead us, guide us in this. 
In Jesus' name.